Hey guys, uh, welcome back to the Lift Smart podcast. Uh, in today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Jackson Miles, who is a uh, record-setting uh, junior lifter in Powerlifting Australia, a very considerable open-class lifter now in Powerlifting Australia, and also a good friend of mine. He's got a lot of great insights on training where we discussed the transition from going from junior lifting at a high level, uh, transitioning into open and the lessons that a lot of people can learn from his experiences in how he approaches uh, his lifting, his coaching, adjusting from a, a short-term intensity to, to long-term sustained growth. And uh, we also get an opportunity to talk about a lot of uh, things that affected uh, people in coaching during COVID, as well as some things that we really love about the industry and some things that we'd like to see change. So I hope you all enjoy the conversation today and take a lot from it. And uh, let's give it a listen. All right, uh, Jackson, thanks for coming on the, the Lift Smart uh, podcast here, man. I really appreciate it. I almost called it by uh, the wrong name just now because I only invented it uh, like a week and a half ago and I almost called it the completely wrong thing. So um, thanks, thanks for taking time out. I, I guess you've got a little bit more time on your hands at the moment than you, <laughs> than you normally would being in Sydney. Yeah. But, I do appreciate it. So um, for the people that are, I guess, even for the people that are familiar with you, uh, the people that aren't, it would be really great to get a bit of an introduction about who you are, um, what you do, you know, just uh, just as, as much information as you're happy to share on that would be awesome. Yeah, so my name is Jackson Miles. Um, I am turning 24 in four days now, three days, five days, something like that. The eighth next week, whenever that <laughs> being, time's a little, time's a little relative at the moment. Um, up in Sydney, as you said, we're locked down for two weeks, as yeah, far as they said. It's like being in a like a casino in Vegas, how they've got like all the artificial light, and then they just pump oxygen into there, so you don't know what time of day it is. So you can like relative, spend hours yeah. in there and then you walk outside, you're like, ah, like it's in the middle of the night or like 6am and you just have no idea. Well, it's a weekend now, but does it feel like Sunday? I mean, can't really, yeah. <laughs> can't comment on much anymore, you yeah. know, it's um, lucky for me, I'm still working, but still it's um, all tends to blur together at the moment, but yeah. What, what do anyway. you do for work, by the way? I don't, I, I don't think I've ever actually asked you that. So full-time job, I work in the management of hazardous materials. Um, so I am a hazardous materials consultant, meaning I will attend construction and demolition sites in order to give management advice as well as assist in the um, safe and regulatory removal of hazardous materials. That's a, that's a very, so, yeah, that's like a, a very uh, rehearsed description <laughs> that. yeah. that's almost like so textbook description of you, your job you get that you get yeah. that question a lot in terms yeah. of what do you do i do this and what does that mean and you're like okay here we go there's the yeah. textbook spiel let me get my notepad out and read yeah. from that one so, but yeah um, but uh i mean that's you know you're in sydney right now you you've 
only just recently moved to Sydney or semi recently, right? Yeah. So I grew up here. I grew up in a place called Nowra, which is around two and a half hours south of Sydney. Mm -hmm. So pretty semi-regional, I think they, they call it. Grew up there or even further south again, down the coast, grew up on the beach, um, slowly worked our way north, did my uni course in Wollongong, mm-hmm. packed up and left, lived in Melbourne for nearly two years and then um, just come back to Wollongong now. So I'm about 50, maybe 50 minutes from Sydney City. Yeah, because when you and I sort of first started talking, I think you were still in Melbourne and you were in the Melbourne lockdown which yeah you know the the forever lockdown i think what was it nine months it was just insane yeah march till i think we got out of it early november like the first or second or somewhere around there correct yeah. if i'm wrong but just, somewhere just, near there. just such an onslaught right and it, it was such a horrible situation but then you um i definitely remember you moving to sydney and now <laughs> Yeah, it's like chasing summer. <laughs> it's just gone with yeah. you a little bit. But hopefully, hopefully, uh, this one will be a lot more tame. I guess in Sydney's defence, they seem to have managed it a lot more effectively over the last... Uh, and Victoria, yeah, yeah. Absolutely as well. It's, um, I mean, lucky, yeah, lucky. Like I said, I'm still working, which is good. Yeah. Um, I worked, worked all through the COVID lockdown in Victoria. So, you know, lucky to count my blessings for that, obviously, you know, people who are full-time in fitness copped it a little bit worse than I would have been. Um, yeah. I guess that's like interesting, right? Like how do you think that, um, do you think that in some way like influence your decision to move more into coaching because you weren't really doing a lot of coaching prior yeah. to that. And then you've started moving into that more. And I guess it's almost like because you were working full time and because you were able to continue working full time, it's like you, you didn't have that um, scarcity mindset, that desperate mindset around actually wanting to start taking people on for coaching, mm. which almost let you like make some better judgments with it in a way. Yeah. So actually when I first started getting into coaching would have been oh, maybe two, three years at least now. And um, I originally never planned to charge anybody that I was coaching is just more so I enjoyed doing it at the time I was learning. It was more, I want to do this. So why not do it? Like, you know, I've mm-hmm. got my job. I don't need that money for that. And then maybe uh, I'd like to say early last year, um, prior to COVID, I had been charging a small amount of money just to cover the costs of, you know, traveling to a competition if I had to fly yeah, from Melbourne of to Sydney yep. or something like that more just recouping costs rather than actually, you know, profiting business and actually trying to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So definitely what you're saying in that, you know, in that lockdown period, it was like, well, you know, I don't rely on this money per se. So I'm able to take as much as I would like to handle rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, let me have 40 clients and charge however much money in order to survive. And we've hit a lockdown. I need X and Y and Z Mm -hmm. in order to function. So I think I started to, yeah, I started to take on more, but it wasn't necessarily a big jump. Like I, at the time when I wasn't charging or I was charging a small amount, I had, you know, seven or eight guys and it was a small close knit team. And then I just, I guess over the course of the, the later six months of last year, probably the boom, I think a lot of guys saw after the lockdown in New South Wales and around the country, 
when everyone started to emerge, there was a bit of a, a growth in terms of coaching because everyone was like, where am I at now? I've taken mm-hmm. three months off training. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to do something. Yeah. So, yeah. It, I mean, I think it was, it was probably like good and bad. I, I almost see um, that sort of period as being like uh, it forced the the fitness and coaching industry to take this like tremendous leap forward. Um, and I, I remember for the longest time, like when I started coaching, everybody like poo pooed uh, online coaching. Like it's not real coaching. You know, you can't mm. get real results. So that's not the real thing. And then all of a sudden face-to-face coaching disappeared and it was like, well, People still need coaching and it forced uh, forced a lot of people to sort of look at the limitations in not only their business models, but actually their capacity as effective communicators as well. You know, I think people that really sure. struggled to transition to online coaching were, were probably just simply not as strong at communicating. And then something like COVID came along and forced those people either completely out or forced them to get better i still think that there's some like downsides to seeing covid uh create such a massive leap forward in online coaching because it's such like a huge saturation point but yeah how do you see i guess like what have you seen in terms of like the growth of your own coaching with with something like that like how did that change things for you not only in volume but like how did that actually affect how you were approaching coaching Mm. yeah so i think i started to see you know a small boom in terms of my smaller business like i'm not coaching a ton of people now nor was i last year but sort of following that most of my clients are from new south wales i've got some in victoria but most are new south wales based Mm -hmm. so i think when everyone emerged from that lockdown it sort of started to be, well, what do we do? Some of my clients from that I picked up in that period there had no experience at all with powerlifting or had yep. very limited experience. So it was more a transition from them from I'm just training. I took this lockdown. I didn't do anything for however long it was, three months, two months. They've come back and they've gone, you know, that wasn't really that enjoyable to begin with. What can we do mm-hmm. that gives me more purpose or, you know, an approach that gives me the quantifiable results as opposed to what most people would you know deem bro training or i just go to the gym and i just do it for the sake of doing it and i don't have any kind of i am definitely stronger right now because i did x now i do y yeah. so yeah. i think those people sort of looked at an approach and were like okay you know let's work towards something mm-hmm. and i guess word of mouth from you know that small group, uh, group of people that i coach speaking to other group of people that they know and started to see those people. Yeah. Try to develop that mindset of, okay, you know, I've come out of this extended period of doing nothing. I want to do something and I want to track how I'm doing it and be better and try to be the best that I can be. So, Mm -hmm. so I guess like, I think that's a personal mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I I agree with. I think COVID um, probably for like, regardless of whether you were in fitness or or whatever you were doing did give people that moment of pause where they were like, is what I was doing before actually fulfilling or was I just doing it because I'd always been doing it? You know, like 
no matter what that was, like I'm sure that there were people through all walks of life that had that moment. I certainly did. Mm. You know, I, I looked at how many hours per week I was working and I was like, shit, man, like, how was I doing that? Like, I, I wasn't even enjoying it. I was just doing it because it's almost like, uh, you know, you know, when you, <laughs> I don't know if you ever remember this because that happened to me all the time when I was little. And so you'd be super stoked, like the recess bell would go and you'd run, like you would sprint to the school oval and you would run so fast that your center of mass actually got forward of your feet and you would start to fall forward as you were running. And you're like, the only way I can not fall on my face is if I run even harder to like get my feet back under my body and then you eventually fall on your face. But that was basically like, like sprinting my down a hill, yeah. Yeah, that was like my career before COVID. And so I was like, if I just keep running, uh, I'll be okay. But as soon as you couldn't run anymore, you just fell flat on your face. And you're like, holy shit, like how was I doing this many hours of, of coaching per week? Like how did I actually manage that? And was, was I even giving the people that I was coaching like my fullest attention? Were, were they getting yeah. what they deserved, you know, like what they really deserved? And so that leads me to my next question for you, which is you're, you're a very good competitor. You enjoy competing. Why not just continue doing that? Because coaching is, is something else, right? Like coaching, mm. coaching, you, you could have just as easily said someone else will do it. And, and in all likelihood, someone else would have done it, right? There, there's no shortage of coaches. Like there's no shortage of, of bartenders. Like there's always going to be more, but there's a reason why you decided to sort of step into the arena. And I'm really curious yeah. what that is. Yeah. So I think, um, like I said, you know, two, three years ago, however long it would have been, I initially started coaching more so as just helping a mate, as I'm sure most of us do. You know, we, we helped our mates back in the day when we started training at the gym or we were three months ahead of them. So we showed them what we were doing, something like that. Um, I started coaching as yeah, you know, I'm helping you. Let's, you know, step up what you're doing. I've mm -hmm. been through this. You haven't. Let's look at what you're doing and see how we can make it better. And then from that point there, you know, my first client spoke to my second client and said, you should try this. And then I get the second client on board and so on. And you end up with a web and starts to span out and you, you end up helping a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it was, it was for free and I enjoyed it. These people are my friends. They were my friends. They are my friends. And then I, I, I guess that's like connect that. even even that is like quite different though. I mean, not many people would just do it for free. And so, mm. is there something that you felt like needed to be changed, or something that you felt like you know with your coaching that you actually wanted to provide a solution to that just like wasn't being yeah. met? Like what 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 was that unmet need? It just wasn't being met where you felt strongly enough about it to actually do this for free. Yeah. Well, I guess, um, so I started getting into powerlifting in Wollongong. So where I am now, sort of back to the start. Um, when I sort of first was interested in it, I was doing the Johnny Candido programs all the free resources, you know, everything that you yeah. can find. Hey that man, you can like do Can for free. Candido is a pretty yeah. good program, right? Like it's, it's all right. Absolutely. That yeah. original six, eight weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. Like I started getting into that. <laughs> Um, heading to, you know, X gym and starting and doing those and following those programs. Um, 
being a uni student at the time, working very casually, you know, a couple hundred bucks in my pocket, if at most. So I guess at the time, the powerlifting coaching that I was exposed to in person was very much out of my price point. Even Mm. the membership for a gym here was, you know, quite a lot of money that I felt I was passing um, over to train there. Mm -hmm. And for that specific equipment, I was paying probably more than I was comfortable to pay. It was double the price of the anytime fitness down the road or something like that. I felt like I was investing in that in terms of selecting a place to train that was more powerlifting specific than we've got club lime anytime jets all those very typical chains especially when you're you're just starting off right like when you're a bit more of a seasoned competitor you're happy to do that but when you're only just starting out that can be quite an obstacle yeah so i guess the the main thing for me was okay i'm spending this amount of money on a facility that is more specific for my training that i'm only just getting into can i then justify spending i don't know i couldn't tell you the exact number back then you know this is 20 2015 at the time, but yeah, spending X amount of money on coaching, you know, it seems like a lot when I don't have a lot coming into my bank every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so from then, my coach who coached me for the better part of two years, I believe, two, maybe three, two and a bit years, he coached me for free the entire time um, mm-hmm. just because he wanted to do it. He wanted to learn and we were bouncing off each other. I was picking things up quite quickly and we were sort of collaborating in our approaches to how we trained and how we worked as a team. So that was obviously an incredible thing for me, given that I couldn't afford that. Um, throughout that uni degree, I was getting free coaching and paying the bulk of my money towards, you know, these gym membership fees and mm-hmm. also food and et cetera, things like that. So after that period of time there, um, I, I could then afford a coach when he stepped away from coaching Um and I saw the price point, which I was, I was quite okay with. Yep. But then I had people approaching me who were in positions that I was in prior, you know, two, three years back as, right, right. okay, I may not be able to afford this coaching and they, they won't select a coach just because they can't afford it. And, you know, as you know, a lot of the young guys typically have a lot of potential and just don't have the right mentor or the right person leading them in that direction from the start. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think is the the right mentor or the right direction? Like, what is that to you? I think, I mean, we've all seen the you know twenty to twenty two year old in the gym who seems to just be spinning his wheels and not doing any anything <laughs> I, incredibly I productive in the yeah. gym. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was lucky enough that you know my coach at the time he took me away from that. Like I was doing, I think at the time I was doing a program from Candido, but I was also doing an Ed Cohen program mixed in two. So I was doing double the yes. work and Ed, Ed Candido told me, yes. yeah, it gave me, <laughs> oh, I think I put in my, my squat max at the start and then you were actually asked for um, your goal max. So you could select what you wanted to do at the end of the program. And Ooh. it wasn't like, if you get there or not, it was just, you know, say 210 I squatted at the start. I want to squat 260 in 12 weeks. It gave me the method to how to do that. So, oh, so it's just like buckle up. <laughs> you're you're was, about yeah, to squat so 260. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gave me, you know, two by two at 240 when my max at the time was 210. And I was like, all right, let's do it. Like, I'm keen. <laughs> I'm going to get there in eight weeks' time. So, I think, um, you know, getting 
out of that mentality where I was approaching, obviously there's some great free resources out there. Like, of course there is, you can get by with those, but you certainly need to be at least understanding of what those resources are. Yeah. You, you need to like for each individual, you need to be able to like discern what's feasible or not. Right. Like yeah, yeah. The, the old two ten max and then going for two doubles at two forty. It's like, that sounds awesome, but uh, how achievable or how, how realistic that yeah. is, uh, is probably a little bit of a different story. So wh- what do you think of those, I guess, like the characteristics, like, it, you know, you, you chose a mentor or you chose someone that you, you felt you wanted to work with. Like, what are those characteristics that really resonated with you and, and that you try to embody in your own coaching? What's important to mm. you? as a coach and as a lifter yeah, because I mean, you're both. Yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, my, my coach who also mentored me and sort of got my, my head in the idea of coaching from the start was someone who was a couple of years ahead of me in terms of he was lifting and he had started to coach mm-hmm. um, that empathetic approach of, you know, I'm doing this to learn. I'm also, you know, I'm, you're not paying me for this service. It's just, let's work with each other. We're friends at the time we're starting to build and we're starting to see the fruits of our labor, but we're also having fun. Like we're training together. We're competing together. We're only driving an hour to Sydney. There's no costs. There's nothing that either of us are really losing. I'm obviously gaining a lot and he's also gaining the experience and, you know, the idea of, you know, all this knowledge of how I respond to training and so on. So I think when I started to look at doing that in my own coaching, I was like, okay, these guys that I'm coaching are a few years younger than me or around my age, but I've been doing this a little bit longer than them. So let me, you know, provide a pathway where you don't Mm -hmm. make the mistakes that I may have made or you also, yeah, I think the biggest one was, you know, don't do these things that I did because, (laughs) It's not going to help you. You may not think it will, but you know. Um, I mean, I think that's. Be... Sorry, go on, go on. I'll, I'll touch no, on no, that. You go. So, yeah. Well, I think that's really important, right? Is that we don't sort of like kick away the ladder to success. You know, it's like this is how I how I got successful, but this is also what these are the things that made it really difficult for me. And I think a lot mm. of people. Um, very good at focusing on the things that they were great at and then sort of deleting the things that they were not good at, but it doesn't really lend itself to a genuine coaching experience. Like it's very, yeah, it, it's probably great for a soundbite and great for marketing, but it's uh, not great for building genuine relationships with people. So I do think it is, is super important when you can say to people like, here are all the mistakes that I made and here's the structure where we can actually avoid as many of those as possible. Uh, so you probably have a better time. Mm, like I was definitely, oh, you know, starting my first comp, I would have been, I think I was only just 18 to so 18 and a little bit um, or 19 and a little bit. So very much a young impressionable idiot. Um, <laughs> and I guess as most of us have seen and most of us have been, um, when you are 18, 19, 20, you think you're a superhero. You see yourself getting stronger incredibly quickly and a lot quicker than those who are, you know, 10, 15 years older than you who are getting mm. in at the same time. And you think, you know, here I am, I'm going to be the best. And I'm the man, you know, for just yeah. a, yeah, yeah, for a quick little thing, you'd think, <laughs> okay, 
I squatted 200 six months ago and I just did 230. Like that means I'm going to do, you know, 260 in another six months. Like you end up with that mentality of (laughs) everything's linear. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the strongest in the world. What are the world records? I can do those. You know, in in 10, 10 years, I should be able to squat 3000 kilos. It it should work like that. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I still, I still have people approach me there like that now where they'll say, you know, I've just done X amount and, you know, I think I can hit this in six months time. I go, look, you might like, you know, there's nothing to say that you won't, but I also don't think that you should get your head caught into the fact that you will, because yeah. you're taking away from that whole enjoyable, could be six years for you to get to that, that number. You know, that's the fun of it. You do this because you like to train. You don't do this for PBs because yeah. you're not going to hit a PB every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, like you, you get to a point where you're hitting a PB, I don't know what two, three times a year. And it's it that, yeah. 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 If that, you know, you start to have to really grind it out. And I think it, it's also like one of those ideas that I, I talked to a few of my own lifters about is like the jump from like, you know, people look at uh, even a scale like RPE where they're like, okay, scale from one to 10. So that like people immediately think that uh, all of those jumps are, are sort of like the same, but it's not. It's like the jump from, RPE nine to RPE 10 is a shitload heavier than the jump from RPE six to RPE seven. And so it yeah. applies to your own progress as well. <laughs> like you, you're making all these jumps, but you, you're not at the top of the ladder yet. Right. Like once you really get to the top, you're going to have to fight a lot harder because it, it, like that's the definition of strength, right? Like you can only get stronger when the challenge gets greater. So all of these gains that you're making, that's awesome. You, you should be doing that, but you have to realize that you're going to have to start coming up against some truly difficult efforts for you to get stronger because otherwise you, you can't, right? Like you, it's really the way it works. I think um, like I was pretty exceptional in terms of the progress I made Mm -hmm. as a, you know, midpoint junior, Um, like my best total, I was, 20 years old i totaled 762 and a half at 105 um yeah. I'm which now, is big know, for everybody listening that's that's yeah big. yeah <laughs> i was at the time i think the the total record was you know just on 730 as a junior um mm-hmm. and i was like well that's not a whole lot for me at the time um and i soared past that from a previous best at 667 so in 13 months i put 95 kilos on my total from a reasonably like 667. That's a good total. Like if someone totals that they've yeah. been doing it, they they're strong. They know what they're, they're doing for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like once you start getting like that. 700 plus, right. It, it's, it's, it's good. Like you're, you're, you're a strong yeah. person. Yeah. You don't really see that jump. Um, I certainly haven't seen anyone in Australia do a jump like that. Um, in a period of 12, 13 months. Um, no. And I guess for me at the time, I was thinking, well, shit, like maybe I am, you know, this one person who can do this consistently. Um, and I think a lot of people that I spoke to over the years could attest that. Yeah. After that, you know, my head was very high. I was, you know, thinking, okay, you know, I just did that in 12 months. I've now got a few months till nationals. I'm going to do 800 at the time that, the open total record was 786 or something like that. 
I was like, not a problem. I'm going to smash that. Here we are. Um, you know, this is my time. And being that young, like I said, impressionable idiot, um, talking a lot of smack about myself and trying to discern the line between confidence and cockiness um, mm. was probably not something I was very good with at the time. Um, so coming into my own coaching, I see that. I see myself in a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and I look back and go, well, you know, people aren't going to like you if you act like that. Um, <laughs> Is that like I, I what, wouldn't have liked you, myself. I would have, yeah. Like the, the advice you, I, you sort of wish you could have been giving yourself at the time? A hundred percent. If I, if what I do you think meet, is important about that? Like if I'm going to, you know, ask you a question there, would you rather have had the 800 kilo total or would you rather have had just people like have, have more positive relationships with the people around you and still be quite a good competitor? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying mm. like, oh, would you rather never be able to lift again, but be positive? What I'm saying is like progress at maybe the rate that um, you're describing now or would you have rather have stayed the same, but got the 800 kilo total. Mm. Like what, what actually created that paradigm shift for you? Yeah. So I guess, um, like I said, I had that big jump and I was very cocky. I was very, okay. You know, why is, I, I didn't think my progress was going to slow down as I'm sure a lot of people don't They no one's going to hope for or expect a plateau in training or not even a plateau, but just a slow down sort of back yeah, to reality. What is it? Like, um, the, oh, what's it called? It's like the, the hot hand fallacy like you just be it's like a, a gambling thing and so people yeah. that gamble because they've won numerous hands they believe that the likelihood of them winning a hand again is higher when in fact it's lower exactly yeah yeah so like my my first comp 2016 i did 640 something 647 and then 667 was another six months. And then a 12 months later, I did 762. I was like, look, you know, I'm adding, you know, 40-ish kilos per six months. You know, that's going to continue. And at that point there, I was like, okay, cool. I wouldn't say that I had, you know, negative relationships with people along the way, but mm. I certainly was probably seen as a bit arrogant and, you know, a young idiot. Um, but you probably had some evidence for that arrogance at that point though, right? Like, You've just broken yeah. the national record by 30 kilos. You, you've you added a tremendous amount of kilos to your total in a short time. You're a young dude as well. So, you know, you were probably, you, you kind of went from being an underdog to top dog in the space of 13 months. Like, mm. I, I don't know anyone on the planet that wouldn't get at least a little bit arrogant from that happening to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was more so, like you said, you know, I felt like that arrogance was, I guess not necessary, but I felt like it was deserved. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I talk this shit, but I back it up. You know, I've sure. just done this. I am doing this. Um, and at the time I thought, yep, you know, I'm going to be the best. Um, and I guess everybody has that mentality of you're not going to get into a competitive sport without that desire to be the best player. Um, sorry, the best competitor you can be, mm -hmm. but leading into the coaching thing, I see that myself now. And I, if I was to, you know, lead someone else down that track, I would say, just cool it, cool it down. Yeah. Um, you can be confident, but you can certainly be realistic. Um, sure. Confidence within your own ability. You're doing remarkable things. Um, I'm helping facilitate these. I've been there. I've done that. Don't do X, do Y. Yeah. Um, 
you know it's important sure. that you when when you talk about that kind of thing it it has a lot of like weight of believability to it because of your experience too which which is crucial mm. right otherwise you'd yeah. just be talking nonsense so yeah a lot of a lot of the guys that i coach have sort of said you know not necessarily just as a coach but people have said you know we look up to what you've done um mm. you're like i said i'm a few years in front um i've done you know, exceptional things in terms of that drastic progress. Um, and then they see that and think that that's realistic, which it can be. If you have the mentality, you can make incredible progress really quickly. Sure. Um, but it's one thing to put a hundred kilos on your total and be like, you know, here we go. Like another hundred kilos coming up. I'm going to be the best. You all, you know, you're all beneath me. You all suck. Versus, <laughs> I've just put a hundred kilos on my total. I can only hope for more if I continue to do this, you know, I may be a very good competitor. Let's, yeah. let's just put my head down and do it. Sure. Like, what do you think? You know, you, you mentioned if you have the right mentality, you can see phenomenal progress. Do you think that maybe some of that arrogance is required to see progress like that? Like that sort of single-mindedness mm. or that, that, that almost tunnel vision you know, when, when you're potentially not regarding people as much and you're just solely focusing on your training or your progress, or do you mm. think that there's a balance there? Like, do you think that you still could have made that progress without it? Like what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, actually a good one. Actually, like at the time I was training relatively alone, I just had my own garage gym. Um, the occasional session when I started to go, um, back up to Wollongong. So I'd moved away. I'd moved back down to Nara and I was training in a combo. So with a combo and my own plates in a garage, very much that, you know, just in the bunker, my own mentality, I'm the yep. best. This is my place to be. I only train here. You don't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very, very arrogant. You know, 20 year old Jackson was all about himself. You know, this is me. I do my own thing. Um, yep. And I think, yeah, to an extent that that mindset of I am going to be the best that I can be. And I think that that best is going to be the best um, pushed me to levels that I may not have gotten to if I was more of a conservative approach. Sure. Um, I was definitely, definitely less social in that period of time then. Um, and I also, yeah, I, I didn't do a lot besides lifting. And I think that that happens quite a lot with some of the younger guys. They see um, some others doing a very limited approach to their lifestyle. They only train, mm. they only work. That's it. That's all I'm doing. And they may get good results. But I don't think that that's the best way to do it. Um, sure. Not to say that I would have got progress um, if I didn't do that, because I feel like someone's going to be you know predisposed to get to an a level of strength if they do the correct training. Um, mm. But the lifestyle differences in terms of more of a social life, that wouldn't necessarily deter from training at all. You'd still get your sessions in. You just, yeah. you know, may have a, a more improved mindset towards those things. You know, you enjoy training more because it's a relief from other things. And sure, I think, yeah, I think that if I was to have changed the mindset back then, would I have gotten more progress? Probably not. But would I have gotten less? Maybe not either. I don't, yeah. I don't think do you, that. Do you think that like sorry. that that shift in mindset um, 
you know, I didn't, I didn't get into powerlifting until after I was already in open. So I got into powerlifting relatively late compared to a lot of other people. I'm not saying like I'm, a, I'm an old, decrepit old man, but, you know, I got into it later than most other people do. So I didn't get an experience in powerlifting as a junior, but I certainly saw a lot of juniors. And one thing that I noticed, um, especially coming back to Australia, competing the first few times, is that the juniors were all just going for broke. They were all going yeah. for broke. They were lifting like they were just, they're, they're just like, just put it on the bar and I will lift it. And that's something that not, it, it doesn't seem as pervasive in the open category. And I, I just wonder sometimes if like, you know, that, that single-minded determination and, and sort of that. I, and again, it's not to say that anybody's a bad person if you have this attitude, but do you think that maybe that's a reason why we see so many junior lifters like that single-mindedness that that attitude lends itself to more massive short-term progress, but is more of a hindrance in the long-term that, it, you know, yeah. that it, it doesn't allow you to make those sort of like, it doesn't give you a lot of scale in terms of like exercising judgment for long-term progress and thinking about the long game. Yeah. I think um, at the time you hear uh, more experienced people telling you, you know, if you add 10 kilos a year for, for 10 years, you're going to have a really good total. And you think, well, yeah, that's cool. But I just added 50 in six months. Yeah, so why would I fucking lame. bother doing 10 a yeah. year? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Why would I bother with that when I can do this? The um, future is now old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You and your old man knees aren't going to yeah. do what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's, um, yeah, for sure. Like you, you start to hear that and it typically will come from a junior lifter of I'm doing this insane amount of progress. Um, I'm going to be, you'll hear it all the time. I want to be the junior champion. I want to get the junior record and oh, I want yeah. to do this. And you go, I've heard that cool. quite like, a few times. Yeah. You go, well, cool. But what's the difference between a junior record and an open record? Like what is that weight difference there? Um, I know, for example, the bench record in the 105 juniors, I, th I think it's just been chipped, but it was mine. And I started when it was 185 uh -huh. and I took it to 193, something like that. So in that period of time, you know, it's gone up 10 kilos, cool, five years or three years, I think I held it, went up 10 kilos. Um, but the open record still belongs to someone at 223. And I was always looking at, okay, you know, fair enough. I may have the best bench in the junior category, but the open one is 223. But I don't think a lot of juniors look at that next step. Yeah. It's always, I'm going to be the best junior you know, here's my glory days, the strongest yeah. I'll ever be. I'm going to do incredible things. And most of those people are gone. Um, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, most of the people, okay, that, well, like then what, what are you going to do once you get that number? What's your next step? What, what is yeah. it for you? Most of the, most of the guys I actually competed with um, sort of back in the early days of juniors. I don't really think many of them compete now at all. Mm. Um, so most of those guys when I was 18, 19, who were running those junior categories um, or even the sub juniors and so on, they, like they don't lift anymore. Um, and if they do, they've had pretty substantial injuries. Um, yeah. And I guess I was lucky that I didn't have any, you know, quote unquote career ending injuries at the time while yeah. training so erratically. But I do think that it's probably more prevalent. Um, you know, you think 
I'm 18, 19. I'm going to recover so much faster than that old man from the gym, um, <laughs> which is true far more than he can. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. Of course it yeah. is. But at the same time, you haven't been doing it as long as that old man from the gym. Yeah. So he may be able to handle more than you can. Yeah. Like his capacity is probably greater, right? Like his stress yeah, tolerance exactly. is probably greater. Yeah. I think, um, you know, just quick example, you know, I'm doing 26 sets of bench per week, but when I was 19, I'd die on 12, like 12 yep. sets and I'm in the grave. So <laughs> it's just, you know, the differences is there is that most of those guys think more is better, more weight is better. The mm -hmm. concepts of RPE weren't really as prevalent back then. And everyone's getting their linear program that may be incredibly, you know, unrealistic you know squat 210 do 240 in six weeks like you yeah. to go like <laughs> that's how we're going to do it um and you know for some of those guys that might work that may have actually happened they may have squatted 240 in 12 weeks yeah. six weeks whenever it was and you know but, but at what cost you know did they hurt themselves mm. did they push through injuries because a lot of juniors go well you know i've got my last year in juniors right now oh i have to do this this year i have to do it right yeah. now well, it's like I, it, it always seems yeah. like like they've just got um they get injured and then there's like this rocky montage playing in their head like you know like i've got to do it and then it's like you know cutting all or to yeah. all the bases of training and then pushing themselves as hard as possible it's like look intensity in training is good right intensity in training is good but you you can't just have like one switch you you need multiple gears right it can't just be zero to a hundred all the time you need to be able to switch through phases of training so that you can see i i you know i i always talk about it and it's not a particularly sexy subject but long-term progress because that's what it is mm. right like you, why do you only want to do this for a couple of years when you could do this for the rest of your life like if somebody yeah. had something that you loved they're like okay you can either do this for a couple of years and you do it really hard, but then you'll burn out and you'll never do it ever again. Or I can get you to like slow it down a little bit and you'll be able to do this for the rest of your life. Which one are you going to take? You know, you, you would probably yeah. take that second option every single time. But for whatever reason, we start putting bars in our backs and like that understanding of how that works seems to completely go out the window and it just doesn't, doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of, a lot of guys may want that first approach. If you were told, you know, you're going to train and you're going to hurt your body incredibly, but you're going to be the, the best, best in the world for yeah, X yeah. period of time, Yeah. but then you won't be able to do it ever again, or you're going to train for 10 years and be good, but not great. You know, yeah. some people are going to weigh up that option and decide, well, I'm going to be the best for this period of time. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, it's less not sexy approach. Decision. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause some of those ideas, yeah, they, they are difficult for people, right? Like where uh, I guess, I don't know, you know, I, I love powerlifting. Like I love it so much that I never want to want to be in a position where I'm not doing it regardless of what weight is going on the bar, but I can sort of understand when people maybe, you know, they, they just perceive it differently and they're like, it's just mm -hmm. a thing. And I'd rather just get good at it and then move on. Like I've got a mate, who is like good at everything that he does. And as soon as he starts getting good, he moves on. And you're like, no, yeah. like he could be like so good if you just kept going. Like I remember he played the harmonica and then, you know, we, we meet up with him a few months later and he's like this 
blues bloody musician, you know, ripping on the harmonica. You're like, dude, what are you doing? And then you see him two days later. He's like, I'm never playing harmonica again. I'm on to something. Yeah. Else. <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You could be so good. Just keep going. So that's yeah, definitely, it's, it's, um, that's definitely the case. Like I'm sure a lot of people in positions similar to you and I, you know, we dabbled in a shitload of sports, tennis, yeah. golf, you know, athletics, soccer, everything. And I mean, most of us would be reasonably good at most things. You know, you pick it up, you have good coordination. You're okay. Um, yeah. I'm not sure about you, but powerlifting is definitely the first sport that I have taken seriously <laughs> and pursued yeah. for a period of time. You know, I did jujitsu. I actually love, I, I still love jujitsu, right? Like I've done mm. jujitsu on and off for 10 years. Um, I would love to continue pursuing that. I had a number of really negative uh, interactions with clubs and coaches that I was involved with that sort of took away uh, what I really loved about the sport. And I felt that it was a bit inaccessible to me, but even then I'm, I'm looking to re-enter it there, but certainly powerlifting is, has been good in the sense that if you don't want to get involved with the politics and drama, and there is <laughs> politics and drama in this sport, as there is in every sport in the world, whether you look at gymnastics or tennis or golf, there's politics and there's drama in every single one of them. It's just human nature. But, you know, powerlifting is one of those things where it's it's pretty good where you can just kind of lock yourself in your gym with your headphones and you don't have to get involved with it at all. Like you don't have to touch on it at all. You can just yeah. go train. You can compete whenever you want. You, you can just, you can seclude yourself. And I actually love that about the sport. I, I think our ability to just sort of, put our heads down and, and focus on what we need to focus on and, and focus on the people around you rather than the sort of higher up stuff that goes on in any of these sports uh, is, is what makes it great. Yeah. So um... what do you think, like, what do you think were some of the biggest lessons for you moving from being a high performing well i guess like you were you were undoubtedly a high performing junior how did that transition into open and what were some lessons for you or maybe some learning experiences for you during that transition yeah i think um honestly like covid really i mean last year 2020 victoria that was my my last year in juniors um I had that mentality up until then that I'm going to go out, not go out with a bang. I had the the intention of continuing powerlifting, but I wanted to end juniors with this big, massive event. This is yeah. my, my lifting career. Yeah. 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 You know, here's my, I had the total record. I had the bench record. I wanted to finish 2020 and go bang, try and touch that. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, everyone had a different idea of that and we didn't train you know, very well for a good period of time last year. Yeah, of course. Um, living That's hard, by man. myself. That's really hard. Like, yeah. you know, I, I was talking to you during that time, but I, I actually didn't realize that that was your final year in juniors. Like mm. that's a really difficult experience because you would have had such an attachment to, to that idea. Like I, I'm, I, I don't think that's something that should be diminished in any way. Like, you know, what was that like for you? Like having to go through that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had the mentality, um, 
well, I mean, I was the the junior work. I'm sorry, the junior record holder um, and the world powerlifting junior record holder as well. Mm-hmm. And I had the idea: this is going to be a big year. I'm moving well. I'm going to hit these massive numbers, and I'm going to be left with, you know, as cringe as that sounds, I'm going to be left with this little junior legacy that I want others to then chase. But it wasn't sure. to be. It wasn't to be this like person on a pedestal. It was more so. I knew that some of the younger guys were following me and chasing me right on my tail. Yeah. I wanted them to bring that. I wanted them to bring the heat. I wanted those junior guys to nip at my heels and have yeah. the 7.30 junior record total back from 2018. I wanted that to be not even a podium placing. I wanted everyone to soar past and you know, end well, up what we're doing now. Yeah, I mean, like, not only does that push you, but how often in your life do you really get an opportunity to say or do something like that too? You know, it doesn't mm. really happen yeah. very often you can't be like you know i'm i'm gonna leave behind this legacy of grocery shopping like it, you know you just you, you don't get that <laughs> yeah. opportunity right so of course you know when it comes up you take it yeah but i think um it changed everyone's mindset like last mm. year we or us in victoria when i say we um we couldn't train very well um you know quite a quite a few of us were training at mates houses on strict time schedules when we weren't allowed to training in parks, training in garages, um, doing all sorts of things, you know, as everyone at home was doing, but everybody at home in other States may have done that for two, three months and got back on the wagon. Mm -hmm. Um, We had that for, as you said, nearly eight months of the year. Lucky enough, I was training. um, It was inconceivable. The longest, the longest lockdowns in the world at that point. Yeah. So I definitely didn't have, my you know storybook training year um mm. leading up to that event that i had hoped for um i think i originally had hoped for the junior nationals in august um and then i'd push that to the opens in october or whatever it was planned um but i didn't get that um so i think across that point of that year i was like well you know i may not be able to do this competition um but I'm grateful I'm still training. Um, I'm looking at what's next. Okay, I can't do this big event as a junior, but I've got however many years I'd like to compete in the Opens. Um, Mm -hmm. Knowing full well that at that point already, I was a competitive Open. Um, You know, I'm not winning. I'm not, you know, I'm not right there, but I can be if I choose to be in the next X amount of years to get there. Um, So I think a lot of people spoke to me and said, you know, you've got these records, um, you know, don't you want to get those bigger? Well, of course I do. Like, I don't want to leave behind something that's not my best. Um, mm. Not knowing when you could I have also, done more, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, knowing I could have done more and also if circumstances allowed, who knows what any of us would have done last year if we were able to train uninterrupted in the same environment for, you know, those eight months. Um you know, I, I ended up competing and my total was, you know, four kilos more than my best. Um, so of course progress, but definitely not what I'd hoped for. Yeah. Um, or what I felt like I was capable of. So, you know, getting to a competition at all last year was probably a pretty big thing for any of us in Victoria. Um, yeah, of course. And I think that at least from my mentality, we had to grow up. I lived alone. I had to grow up. I had to do whatever I could to, you know, I was on the job keeper payment. I was working, but it was 
the the bare minimum so he only got the job keeper um yep. you know that's that's a hard thing for anybody to live alone on one payment when my rent was far more than what i needed from that um, yeah she had to grow up a lot and you know the idea of becoming the best junior 23 year old powerlifter that my work colleagues don't even know what the fuck powerlifting is like it's not as important <laughs> yeah so yeah. Like people think I'm going to the Olympics from my work, but it's just not that. So I guess um, you look at what's important and you start to fall in love with the process a lot more yeah. when you realize that there is no pinnacle at the end of juniors. You're not going to be the 20 feet, uh, sorry, the 23 year old phenom and then be a 24 year old washout. It doesn't happen like that. Yeah. And it's almost like you, you sort of start to realize that the people that are in your corner are, supporting you not because you're winning gold but because they realize that you're just happy you're at your happiest when yeah. you know you're doing those things and so they're coming and supporting you because they just want to see you happy it's like you you know you could tell your, your your nana right you tell your nana that uh you know I, I had a really good day and she's like oh that's really good and you know I'm, I'm so happy for you and then you tell her that you know you're, you know i'm the junior champion in australia and she's like oh that's really good i'm so happy for you like it'll be It'll be the same, really the same reaction regardless because all that really mattered to them was that you're happy and that you had a good experience. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I've said this to so many people over the time that I've held these records. I was like, no one cares about these. Like the only people <laughs> that care about, yeah. the only people that care about a junior record or maybe even an open record are the people who want those records. Yeah. Um, I, I held those records for a few years I, I still have one I think um but the only people who talk about them or have any interest in them are those young impressionable idiots who are chasing yep. those records well it's like you know re remember that we we still belong to like a subculture right like we still belong mm. to a subculture like powerlifting it's very normal to us because it we live it we are in it but it's it's not necessarily abnormal to other people, but we're speaking in a language uh, with like, a, you know, a, a lexicon of language that people just don't understand. It, it's not the same language. And that applies across the board. Like if you want a sobering thought, then consider the fact that <clears throat> there are probably world records in lawn bowls that people are having equally as passionate conversations about, right? Like, you know, this is my legacy. This is what I'm going to do. And I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with that. I think it's cool. I, I love seeing people be passionate about those things, but I also think that people sometimes need a reality check about what we do and, and, you know, the importance in the, the grander scheme of things. Like I certainly love this sport I want to be able to push myself as hard as I can, but I don't want it to come at the expense of how I influence the people around me. Yeah. You know, ultimately I think that what we should be trying to think about is, you know, is, is the world better for, for having done this, you know, uh, how am I actually affecting the people around me so what i really like and what you spoke about before was like when you started to think about those records as being something that raised the standard of lifting mm. rather than just being this number that you could brag about it really resonate with that i think that that's that's so important
right? Like that's such a, a shift in, in mentality when looking at that as well. And I think that that's something that a lot of people could learn from. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, having the idea of bringing the whole, yeah, like you said, raise the whole standard mm. and showing the juniors who may be a year or two behind me that I'm going to push these numbers that I, you know, these are my personal best that happen to be the record, but I'm going to keep pushing that into the open category. I'm going to go into, you know, open nationals this year, hopefully, um, and do numbers that are better than what I did last year. Yeah. I'm still going to do that the year after the year after that. I might be the best open in four years. I might not ever be the best open, but yep. I'm continuing to push that. And I know for fact now that there'll be, you know, four or five of us who'll be doing more than the open total record from 2018. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's insane to me. That was something that I hunted and, you know, my subpar day was three kilos off that record. Yeah. Um, and and it's also um, like, you know, two years down the track. Yeah. You know, pe people, they get to a certain level and then they, they start comparing themselves to other people as well. And they maybe lose motivation or, or they feel as though they're not progressing rapidly enough. You know, you, your progress does start to slow down regardless of who you are. Like mm. it's just the way it is. That's reality. But what people also need to realize is like, as you get stronger, the people you're comparing yourself to are going to be of a higher and higher standard. Right. So even though it may feel as though your progress is slowing down, which it is, and that, you know, maybe you feel as though you don't match up as well. The people that you are comparing yourself to are some of the best people getting around, right? Like that's, that's a really important thing to acknowledge and, and something to, to focus on is that, you know, even for myself as a 120, I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm the, I'm, I'm an awesome 120, but I'm strong. I do. Okay. And hmm. the people that I find are pushing me where I sometimes get a little bummed out and like, oh man, like, you know, I've still got so far to go and I'll always approach training with that mindset. Like I've still got a lot of things to learn. I just want to keep my head down and train. But, you know, I, I feel that sometimes. And then I look, I'm like, oh, but these guys have been crushing it for a really long time. There's yeah. some strong dudes. Like the fact that I'm even in a conversation with them at all is pretty good. So I'll take that. Yeah, for sure. I think you'll find um, in the 105s, um, so you've got Nikolai Cushing and Michael Rand at the two. Uh, at Nik the top. Nikolai um, is the owner of the biggest set of turkey drummers in the world. Yeah, <laughs> those two guys and also Hung. I'm not sure too much about Hung, but I know that Nikolai and Michael were both competing juniors. Um, yep. Michael had that total record at, 23 the one that i broke and um, i kind of feel Nikolai like michael, a year or two before him so michael's like the uh the the silent assassin like he just keeps chipping away at numbers and and keeping a pretty low yeah. profile yeah so those, those guys have always they've, they've been there they i'm not sure on their mindset because both of them are pretty quiet on their socials but they may have had that mentality i had at the time and mm. they just continued to get better and better and better yeah, both like yeah. fantastic lifters, right? Like they just, they, I, I don't know either of them personally, but I can only comment on their lifting performances and it's always a joy to watch them lift. Like I think they're both yeah. great lifters. Yeah. 
both both really great blokes. Mm. Um, never going to rub it in your face. They flogged you on the platform. <laughs> they will have. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, they've they've been there. They've done that. They are the juniors who have progressed into the opens. Um, and I guess that's that's the goal of myself. And it yeah, it's the goal that I try to you know embody in my lift is is that your career doesn't end now. You yeah. you don't finish at twenty three. Keep going. Look where you may end up. Yeah, for sure. So, so I guess uh, as a bit more of a free reign thing here, is there anything that like, is there anything currently happening in coaching that you absolutely want to change that is just driving you nuts at the moment? And like, if that's maybe one of the more negative and criticism focused ones and what's something else that's also uh, pretty positive that you think is coming out, and mm. it doesn't necessarily have to even be powerlifting. Like, what do you what do you see when you look at coaching? Just to sort of finish finish off our conversation for the day here. What do you wish would go away, and what are you hoping sticks around? I think the biggest thing that you you would also be able to comment on this is that we tend to see coaches trying to outdo other coaches and. You know, we're in a competitive industry, of course. You know, you need to provide a service that's better than another coach. Otherwise, why would that that athlete or that um, that client approach you? Yeah. But I don't think that publicizing on your social media that you are the most intelligent person on the planet and that you know all of these concepts that your client or lifter has no fucking idea about <laughs> can serve, serve any purpose yeah. at all for your coaching. Um, yeah, it's kind of like uh, the, the more you have to say you're intelligent, the more it achieves the absolute opposite of that. The same way that like yep. when people talk about how enlightened they are, and it's like, if you have to keep telling me that, then it's obviously not obvious enough for yep. me to be able to pick up on my own. So maybe consider what that's saying. Yeah. You know, the um, there's a phrase um, in regards to writing any piece of document where if it can't be understood by the general intelligent man on the bus in England, I forget what it's called. Well, There's it's a like, phrase where it's. I mean, it. like if you can't explain it to a professor in a six-year-old, then you, then you don't know it well enough. Oh no, it's yeah, no, it's it's similar. So it's saying um, that there's the the general intelligent man who is you know not a professor, but he's not um, mentally challenged. If he can't understand it, then it's pointless information. So sure, you know, you or I who may be able to read a post like that, you know, it may make sense. Um, it may make limited sense. They may have concepts wrong. That's all good. However, we're just lifting weights. You're teaching people to lift weights. There is biomechanics yeah. involved. Of course there is, but I don't think we need to, you know, measure the thickness of our biomechanics textbook to each other <laughs> and see who's got the bigger textbook yeah. um, in order to prove that, you know, a coaching service is better because, you know, theoretical and applied knowledge are completely different things. Um, yeah, I mean, like... You know a whole lot, but you can't coach people and, you know... I talk you. about this a fair bit with some of the coaches that I work with, like in the mentorships and stuff. And it's like, in general, you know, I've, I've, um, we have an assistant coach and I, I talk to her about this as well. It's like, everybody's <clears throat> sitting there like, you know, oh, they don't know what they're talking about biomechanics. That's that's the wrong way to get hypertrophy. 
and this and this, and I've been guilty of it. Look, I, I absolutely have been guilty of it. Sometimes I drive myself crazy with this stuff. And then there's just like, I don't know, old mate at a chain gym who's got clients lining up out the door for a 30 minute sweat session because they're just like, don't have to think about it. And he just pummels them and high fives them and hugs them. And they leave that session feeling awesome. And they will always go back to it. It's like, yeah, stop shitting on that guy for not knowing biomechanics and start acknowledging everything he's doing way better than you. Because exactly. There's something to it, right? There's a reason why people keep going back. Yeah. We all start and we all do, you know, our chest day, we do 400 chest exercises in yeah. one day, get a sick pump. And we do that for a period of year. You're going to get results. Like that's yeah, simple as you that. Will. You know, you're buying to that was, I love this. This is fun. I'm enjoying myself. It but feels good. I Let's think, go. Yeah, exactly. It feels great. I had a sick session. Here's a good pump. You know, I just gained a kilo this past two weeks. I'm trying to get big. I'm getting big. Awesome. You know, yeah. I've just done that. I may have had help. I may not have had help, but you know, we, we talk about the scientific approach, which is more intelligent, of course, you know, there's better ways to do things than that. But Mm. at the same time, I don't think that you should be shitting on that person for not knowing what they're doing or PT who who may not understand the concepts you do, but they're still getting results. Like who who gets to decide efficacy, right? Like who gets to decide that? And, you know, it's like going back to you, how you were talking about you, you did all these template programs I, I always feel like the the fitness industry is, is you know, the pendulum always swings both ways and it often swings too hard. And so we see all mm. these template programs and they're, you know, maybe they do pump out silly things where it's like two by two at 240 and your max is 210. It's like, okay, that sounds intense. But uh, one thing they do is they push you to lift heavy and that's really cool. But then you've got, you know, we might see two by two at 240 and be like, now, 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 like, pump your brakes that's not the way to do it and then it's like shut up nerd like i want to lift 240 <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> exactly so we have to consider yeah. the again it's like just consider what they're doing well like you know you can't this like massive weight of thought that we seem to attach to a lot of training man let people start working in rpe 9 rpe 10 accessory work and just let them smash smash training again and they'll probably really enjoy it right like especially with low risk stuff and there's always like room for nuance like are you going to give them you know five by ten at rpe 10 front squats probably not but you know can you do that with like a i don't know a walking lunge yeah you probably could and they'll be okay so just just let it go i i couldn't agree more like with that stuff i think it's um, like don't shit on what you realize Sorry. Yeah. Don't, no, no, yeah. Don't no. shit on people for how they're going about it. It's like, you know, when we're in the gym, when we're younger, we absolutely obliterate ourselves. And I'm sure you can attest to the fact that, you know, you're pretty strong, especially on the bench press and you're probably doing numbers before you even considered powerlifting that would rival and best most of the people who were powerlifting around the same weight you were. Yeah. So <laughs> you can't, you can't be saying that someone's doing the wrong thing when they lift more than you. So yeah, it's you know, like everybody I, knows that um, that guy that shows up at the gym at 4 p.m. and he's got his high vis on and he's got his boots that mm-hmm. are covered in plaster and then he just sits on the bench and warms up with your max and then he drinks a dare double espresso, has a cigarette and leaves. And like yeah. that's that guy. And it's like, is but you've got the is he doing it wrong? Like he's clearly <laughs> not, right? Like he just yeah, killed exactly. you. Yeah. 
And then old mate with his, you know, 80 kilo powerlifting bench press, all his wrist wraps, his belt. And he goes, wow, that guy doesn't know what he's doing. And you're like, well, maybe he does. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Maybe you you don't know what you're doing. Maybe you should do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think to sum it all up, it's just, you know, there's certain things that need to be complicated, but there's also other things. Well, you just need to lift more. Yeah. Um, It's like nothing looking for nothing should yeah, stop looking be, for the most uh, expensive and best way to do things yeah um ex-coach may tell you that this biomechanical approach to this lift is the best way to do it you know knees out here knees out sorry knees in here knees out here your shoulders should be doing this your elbow should be doing that well in the end like if you do that and it's slightly suboptimal but you do it more you're gonna do better than the person who was taking their time and have had limited progress because you just yeah. haven't done it as much as they have. That's right. It's like where there's a point where optimal is no longer optimal, right? Like if if you're telling me that optimal is optimal is only optimal when it's putting kilos on the bar. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as it's not and it's actually pulling them off, it's probably suboptimal now. Like you know, even even for me, like the way I bench press and people are like, oh, why do you put your feet there? I'm like, because it's good for me. Like that's how I bench more weight and it's not conventional in any way, but that's how I bench and it's how I bench what I bench, which is like not insignificant. Right. So tell me it's suboptimal. It's like, okay, well I still out bench you. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're also seven foot tall. So it makes things. Yeah. All right. So what do you hope sticks around? What do you, what do you hope to, to finish this off today? What do you hope is actually going to stick around? What do you think is something positive happening that you, you really want to see more of? Uh, I do like the idea, like not just of RPE, but like you said, that training has to be difficult. Um, it's the only way we are going to get stronger is by pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves. I think what's happening as of the last couple of years is that we moved away from that whole um, linear focus of you start really stupidly easy and you finish at a point in the block where you're breaking every bone in your body in order to do two by two, uh, yeah. 240. Um, and we've gone, you know, back away from that. And I think there was a bit of a period of time where things were just too easy. Um, you're very, very low RPE work. Um movement quality like in movement focus perfect all good i think most of us Every, yeah everything must be pristine like <laughs> yeah i think that we're all starting to accept now that training's training um yeah you, you need to lift a lot to get stronger you need to you need to do it for a very long period of time and putting kilos on the bar is your main focus that doesn't and, mean and it, like you know yeah. show me a max where someone holds perfect technique and i'll show you someone that hasn't hit a max like when you exactly. when you max out, there is no hope in hell of you just maintaining like pristine technique. Because I, I just think if you are truly pushing the boundaries of what you're capable of in, in like an objective sense, uh, or I guess there's a psychological component to that too, but it's, you know, it, it's not going to be pretty. It, it's it's going to be a little bit ugly and that's okay. You're, you're allowed to do ugly reps sometimes as long as you're, minimizing the ugliness and you're not trying to you know think like okay i got the bar up because of this technical breakdown uh you know as long as it's not becoming a limiting belief then go train hard you know it's it's fun it's actually more fun right people get more excited about it i think you'll see um there is still 
you know, that approach is not always adopted. Um, I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times at competitions where somebody sees a little bit of struggle and they just stop and you go, like, why did you stop for? Like you, you definitely could have got that rep. Like, why did you not do that? Um, and I think that they just haven't experienced the hard training. Um, the grind. Like I said, yeah. RPE, yeah, <laughs> RPE is a great approach, but if you spend yep. all your time in RPE five to six, of course you're going to build great technique and your form is going to be amazing. However, when things do get hard and you do break down, well, shit, you don't know what to do. You think yeah. you're going to break into and you but don't do that's, it. That's also like a flaw in the coaching of RPE too, right? Like <clears throat> somebody might be spending all their time in RPE five to six, believing that it's like eight to nine when it's yeah. not, right? There, there are objective markers that we actually look for in coaching RPE. And I, I agree, like people need to get used to just the bar slowing down so they don't freak out. Yeah. It's um like my, my training myself, like I'm coached by Sean Noriega and I could count on one hand the amount of times that I've had an RPE nine written down on my program. Um, and the amount of times that I've had RPE eights is quite slim too. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the more you lift, the more challenging those RPEs can be. And also the recovery from an RPE nine, if I was to do a set of five at RP nine on squat, I'm buried for quite a period of time after that. Yeah. I mean, like um, <clears throat> what, it, like what you can experience acutely is not what you can experience chronically. And especially like, even yeah. for like, I hit an RPE double up uh, RPE seven double uh, deadlift the other day, which was, it was an RP seven for sure. It was. And people might be like, oh, RP7 is easy to recover from. It's like, yeah, okay, like on paper it is, but in absolute terms, that was still a shitload of weight. Exactly. I had um, something similar is that, you know, I do high rep deadlifts on the weekend, um, capping out at RP7.5, which is not that hard. Um, but I'm doing that with 250, 260. I come into <laughs> my session on Monday, I squat 20% less than my um, best squat. I go, fuck me. That was hard. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yep. that's challenging. And so like the, bar, think, the bar speed is on, but it's still, man, that's still some weight, right? That's still some weight. Yeah. So I think it's, it's good that coaches are starting to give those harder efforts and have the athlete, you know, know what's expected from that. So you do yeah. your hard set on the weekend and realize that, okay, the following week might be shit. Um, and I think there's something you've touched on quite a few times is that, you know, you'll have a great week in RPE training and the following week might suck. Like that's just part of it. Yeah. Um, but when those great weeks are great weeks, push it, have fun with it, you know, hit your RPE eight, feel some hard reps, feel some hard training, and then understand that you may not be able to do ne- more next week, but you've still, you know, dealt with that exposure and, you know, done quite well. Yeah, like be okay with the bar occasionally having to be lighter in order for it to get heavier later. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, a good approach is that we've swayed away from the crazy hard training. We I think we definitely went too far towards submaximal is the way to go because yeah, we started to 100%. understand that, that like, mid-range is probably the best place to be. Yeah. yeah. Spend, spend a lot more time there for sure. All right, man. I think that's a, a pretty good place to end it today. So look, thanks heaps for your time today, Jackson. It's always awesome to talk to you. Thank you very much. So um, 
if anybody's looking to uh, contact you or talk to you or maybe inquire about your coaching, where can they find you? Just hit me up on my Instagram, um, JLM underscore training, and just shoot me a message. Always free to have a chat, whether it's about coaching or anything else, just shoot me a message. I'm always there to have a bit of a yarn and talk some shit with you. Why not? Yeah, that's how uh, you and I actually started talking is I think just through meme culture. So it's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, again, really massive thanks, man. I, I really appreciate you uh, being on this episode for us and hopefully see you at nationals so that we can have another beer again. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. All right, mate. That's the only reason I'm going to nationals still anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the the beers after is the best part of the, the banquets. If anyone wants to inquire about nationals, that's exactly what you're heading there for. Yeah, that's that's the the big show. Everybody's just uh, wants to get the lifting done so we can get to the important stuff. All right, thanks, mate. I uh, hope you have a very good evening, and I'll talk to you soon. Me too. Peace out.